So I filled the bathtub up. I go back and I get in the tub. As soon as I got in the water, I heard wham, 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 this loud banging noise because the back door was right outside the bathroom door. So I jump up out of the water, threw my pants on real quick. Just as soon as I got my pants open, the bathroom door comes flying open. And there's, I hear them run through the house yelling, take cover, take cover. And I think that's the police. Hands up against the wall. The dude's fully dressed in black from head to toe. Like I said, black ski mask, black toilet gauge, pump shotguns. Over the next hour or so, they proceeded, read me my rights, uh, handcuffed me, searching the house, arrested me. They arrested Jody, blocked my entire street off. They had vans. They had police everywhere around buildings. They were just, I mean, they were ready for World War III. And here's the crazy thing, though. Our little girl, she's yeah. nine months old. So wow. think about this, this little bitty house. If I'm getting high with her in the same room, yeah. she's getting high. I'm not even thinking about it. Hey guys, welcome back to the Dad Tired Podcast. You're going to hear an incredible story of God's redemption today. I'm excited for you to hear this testimony. Before we jump in, I do want to thank my friends over at Samaritan Ministries for sponsoring today's episode. Many of you are still considering how to pay for your family's medical needs in 2023. If that's you, it's time to take a look at Samaritan Ministries, a community of Christians across the nation who pay one another's medical bills. It's biblical, affordable healthcare sharing with no network restrictions. And since it's not insurance, you can join any time of the year, even today. You can learn more by going to SamaritanMinistries.org forward slash dad tired. When the body of Christ comes together to pray, encourage, and provide for one another, burdens are lifted and God is glorified. This applies to all areas of life, including healthcare. As a Samaritan Ministries member, you have control over your healthcare, choosing the doctors, treatments, and hospitals that are right for you and your family. Members have access to healthcare resources to keep medical bills and prescription costs low through discounts and fair pricing. There are no network restrictions. You can choose the providers that are right for your family, including alternative treatments and natural methods of care. Healthcare sharing with Samaritan Ministries is affordable with monthly share amounts starting at just $263 for a family of three or more. Again, to learn more about Samaritan Ministries, go to samaritanministries.org forward slash dad tired. Billy, I'm excited to meet you, man, and to hear a little bit of your story. Somebody sent me an email and just kind of shared a little piece of your story. And I was like, dang, that sounds really fascinating. And so I'd love to hear more. Maybe just start where you are now, who you are, what you're up to these days, and then we'll kind of rewind back and hear what God's done in your life over the years. Yeah, yeah, man. Thanks so much, Jared. I appreciate the opportunity to be on today and, and to share with your listeners. Well, when we start today, man, I'm just, you talk about somebody really getting to live the dream and a dream that they've had all of their life or, or talk about when is that day going to come when God actually, when the things that you feel like you've had in your heart or vision for a long time start happening? It's been happening for me, especially the last few years. I mean, God's always been good to me, but as I when I became a Christian, but uh, right now I'm happily married, 35 years. Wow! I got a 35 year old daughter. I have a 30 year old son named Jared as well, and um, I actually have five grandkids. Wow! Five grandkids, and uh, we and Jared, Jared and his wife Lauren just had our first granddaughter. Obviously, she's got us all wrapped around her finger, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's so cool. I mean, my, my family has just expanded so much. And, and as I tell you the story a little bit, you'll say, well, it shouldn't have happened like that, you know, without some kind of divine intervention. And that's that's what's happened. But not only that, I mean, I'm getting to do the things that I love, composing and recording music and getting to share the gospel through the music. Mm -hmm. um, I'm also a speaker. My wife is an author and speaker, besides all the other things that she does. She's got a lot on her plate, wears a lot of hats. But uh, 
Yeah, so we right now currently traveling full time. My wife also is a life insurance broker and a Medicare specialist and and a health insurance specialist. She's just got a lot that she does. Plus, I was traveling all the time. And then, of course, with the music and the tours that I do, it's kept me really, really busy. But uh, family is very important to us, bro. We, um, you know, let me just back up a little bit. I see I met my wife in a juvenile correctional facility. Wow. So that's yeah, a, so, that's not something you hear. Every, that's not what somebody. No, hear no, it's not usually how you start the conversation. But you know, so here's the deal. So I was, I love people, love community. I just love to be around people. And growing up wasn't like that for me. I really, really struggled for whatever reason to find community. Struggled so much. I was adopted. Thank God, I was adopted by my aunt. My uncle really raised me as their own. Loved me. Mm-hmm. I still struggled as a little kid for whatever reason. Had high hopes of doing this, doing that, and kind of being involved in things that were going on in school, but it was for whatever reason, as I traveled from different or moved from different school to different school, I struggled to make friends. Communication just wasn't, I don't know what the deal was. Uh, So I became the kid that was, uh, I talk about this in public schools a lot and have for many, many years. Uh, I was the kid that was bullied and it was just not a little thing. You know, not like you and I joking around as kids. It was like a very serious I look back now and I say, well, that was an attack to get me to just end it all mm. before I came into what I was supposed to be doing. But but yeah, I struggled. So anyway, my parents got a divorce when I was 10 years old. Mm. My adoptive parents. Okay. I call them mom and dad. That's who raised me. They adopted me when I was three. They adopted me. Sorry. I know I'm curious. I know a lot of guys are going to be curious. What happened with your parents? Young parents. I don't know the full story because you get so many different stories from people. Mm -hmm. Here's the deal though. I was adopted into the same family. So my aunt, my uncle adopted me. Mm -hmm. So I was raised to think that my biological mom, I didn't know when I was a little kid, I thought she was my aunt. I never knew my father. They had separated. So um, they just struggled. I mean, it was party. I mean, from, from the stories I know two years old, man, I was, I was brought into the tavern and two years old, you know, brought the baby with them, you know, had didn't have a haircut when I was a little kid. It was just, you know, it was one of those situations. And uh, they just struggled at being teen young parents for whatever reason. But and then she after me, I was the I was the oldest. And then she had another baby. That baby lived five days. Uh, uh-huh. Brother. That I have. Then after that, she had another baby. That baby lived about a week. And yeah. And so and so Jeez. that's Jackie Lee and Ivan Keith. So those would have been my th- those would be my two little brothers. And then uh, about six years after I was born, she had a a little girl who, who lived and, um, you know, is alive today and everything. And her name is Chastity. But I didn't know this. I thought that Chastity was my cousin growing up, you know, wow. so crazy story. Yeah. My sister, I'm at my adoptive parents. I don't know anything. I think this is my mom and my dad. And I'm being babysitted by my sister, Tammy. I want to confuse the listeners, but I'm at my adoptive parents' house. Again, I don't know I'm adopted. I'm four or five years old. She's babysitting me while they're gone. I made her mad and she said, you know what? You're just adopted. Wow. I'm like, what? I have no idea. <laughs> I'm a little kid. So it didn't really affect me either way. It just, I didn't know what it, that even meant. Right. Mom and dad comes home. I go running up to him saying, Tammy said I was adopted. And right then at age four or five years, I can remember my mom setting me down that young and ex- trying her best to explain to this little kid that, I'm not sure I didn't give you didn't come out of my stomach. I'm not your birth mom, you know, yeah. but I am your mommy and uh, you're my son, you know, that kind of thing. Wow. And I never felt like I wasn't. I mean, they never treated me like I wasn't their child. 
Mm. And I said, well, who is my mommy? Naturally, that's what you would say. Like, who is my mommy? And she was like, well, I'll tell you when you get older. Mm. So literally, bro, I'm at my 10th birthday party. It's my mom, my dad, my sister, Tammy, and my grandmother is there. And I don't know what part of the birthday parties before or after they brought out the cake. It was, I didn't have a bunch of people there. It was just them. Yeah. And they told me right then oh, at my wow. 10th birthday party that they said, your aunt Margaret is your mom. Whoa. I'm like, what? My, and then I started putting it together at 10 years old. I'm like, wait a minute. Aunt Margaret is my mom. That makes you're my aunt. You're my uncle. You're my, oh. you're my cousin, Tammy. You're not my, you're not my sister. Oh, you know, geez. you're still my grandma, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. But so then I got real curious, wanted to know more about her, wanted to know, you know, I'd see Margaret at family reunions and stuff. Now I didn't know anything. I asked about the dad. They said, well, he's been long gone. Those mm. kinds of things out of the picture for a long time. Well then right after that, the mom and the dad, my, my adopted parents got a divorce. Mm. They remarried. So that is in the equation. You got all these other stepbrothers and sisters and then step parents. And I didn't get along with step parents very well. Mm. And uh, I'm sure they struggled getting along. <laughs> you know, a lot of people talk about all oh, the step parent. And I'm, I'm always trying to tell, especially when I'm talking to young people, I'm like, well, hey, while you're trying to figure out how to deal with them, they're trying to figure out how to deal with you. You know, it's mm -hmm. kind of a full circle thing. Mm -hmm. So I get high for the first time with my sister, Tammy, when I'm 12 years old. Mm. After that, I started running away because I just didn't like the my dad and stepmoms didn't like that. So I ran away and went to my mom's. My stepdads didn't like that. Ran away to be with my grandma. I just kept running away. Uh, I wasn't heavily in drugs at a young age like that. I um, obviously was couldn't find community, struggled to make friends in school. So it was just going from one thing to the next thing. Now, listen, by the time I'm 16, I ran away again. This time they called the, the uh, juvenile court mm -hmm. system. And then I end up on probation and then I end up not doing uh, probation would monitor your schoolwork and all those kinds of things. I still got to live with my grandparents, would see my adoptive parents every now and then. But I live with my grandparents and I was happy living there and they were trying to help me. But I still had a lot of struggles. So at that time, the probation department sent me to a facility in Indiana called it's called Josiah White's New Possibilities. And it's been there for 170 years. Wow foster care for kids, court systems would send kids, troubled kids. I mean, from all walks of life, it's a whole campus. It's in Wabash, Indiana. They have four female cottages. They have five or six male cottages. You go to chapel every single day. It's a wow. Christian foundational place, you know, um, teaching you discipline, teaching you how to have respect and how to, you know, you go to school, you have a high school there, you play sports and those kinds of things. Why well, join the choir was there because mm. it's co-ed, it's a co-ed facility. But it's not like you get to mingle with the girls all the time, you know. Mm. So I'm 16, um, getting ready to turn 17, and uh, I met. A, I joined the choir, and in that same choir, it was a co-ed choir, was where I met uh, Jody, and we became boyfriend and girlfriend in there. She was there 14 months. I was there 15 months. They had a thing where if you if you had good behavior, you know, you could be up on a certain level, and then when you got on a certain level, you um you could what they called they called it mixing. People say going out, dating, whatever. What it <laughs> It consisted of going to the cafeteria on Sunday evenings when your when your cottage went to the cafeteria to eat. You didn't have to sit with them. You could sit at this big middle table across from the girl and you could hold hands. Wow. So that's, but hey, you know, I mean, we <laughs> it fell in love, man. That's what happened. So wow. the crazy thing was, is I thought I had struggles. So here I'm in love with this young lady. She gets out a month before I do. Then I get released. 
I get sent back to my county in Indiana because I'm still on probation. I'm 17. She's 16 by then. She gets sent back to Muncie, Indiana. I'm from Franklin, Indiana. This is miles apart. Don't have a car. I got a job that summer, but nobody would take me to see her. Mm. Nobody would, you know, I'm like, hey, I'm in love with this girl, you know, nobody would take me to see her. And she didn't have the money to come down here because they lived in, I mean, poverty. Mm. I mean, poverty. She lived a rough life. In fact, all those kids that used to beat me up, chase me home from school, the rough crowd, the the crazy people in school that I dealt with when I was bullied, that was the kind of people she was. That's her friends. That's mm. kind of the life that she led. Hey, I didn't know it at the time, but here's a young lady that started out at age nine living in Muncie, sometimes Fort Wayne, and sometimes Cleveland, Ohio, in the worst neighborhoods in Cleveland you can live. She's on drugs. She's involved in drugs and sex, pills, party life at nine, the streets at age nine. I'm knowing nothing about it. So she's still living this kind of lifestyle. And uh, she's on probation. I'm on probation. I run away, hitchhiked. Got a bunch of rides. It took me three hours and like five rides, and I got to her house. Now, this is a trip. Her mom lets me move right in. Wow. And we're like hiding out because the police would show up sometimes because my mom thought I might be there at her house. And, you know, they never found me. And here's what happened. I started partying with her because I was, I was in love with her. So I was with her all the time. I had a decision to make. I said, I'm going to have to change how I conduct myself around these people or, it, you know, life's going to be really hard for me. And I love this young lady. At the same time, I was also 17. Mm-hmm. I was growing up. Something was happening. And I think in my head, I, something clicked, man. And it was time to pay society back. Mm-hmm. I, I never thought about it like that. But I look back yeah. now and go, that must have been what happened, you know, because it went from one one fight happened. I just went berserk, mm-hmm. you know. And I hate to admit it, but I liked the accolades that I got from her crowd. Because those are the ones that used to chase me home from school. Mm. I loved the accolades. I loved the parties that we'd go to as teenagers. And we went, we always partied with older people. I mean, that's just the life she was raised in that life. It was very common for her. It was just, I mean, I'm living in her house. I'm living in her bedroom. Her mom let me move in. You know, my wife has since written a book called Beautifully Unbroken, The Prostitute's Daughter. Her mom had lived as as a prostitute for a while. I mean, it's just just her life. Now, Now, there's a part of Jody at that time, once out. She wants out of that life. You know, she's really happy that her and I are going together because she thinks part of it, she thinks I'm her way out because I wasn't raised like that. I mean, I had problems, but, mm-hmm. you know, they weren't anything. My mom would have, you can imagine, man, like my mom, my mom would have killed me if I tried to move a girl into the house. I mean, I could, right, yeah. you know, but her mom, that was just how it was. And um, again, the consistent partying all the time. I did get a job, but, you know, you always get enough money at 17, 18 years old just to to help pay for the keg, the party, buy some pot. And then there's always fights. And then I started looking for the fights. Hmm. And, yeah, and I got hurt a lot. But I didn't care. It was like I didn't care. I was hurting people a lot, and I got hurt a lot. You know, beat Hmm. up with bumper jacks, pool sticks, gun threats. Oh, goodness. Stabbed in my bicep. I mean, all kinds of stuff that – People hear my story and they only hear that part or they read my bio and they don't hear the other parts that I just shared with you about how life was for me up till 17. So I always tell people, look, I didn't get to be bad for very long. So what happened was is 18 and 17, her and I get married. Five months later, my daughter Mindy is born working at Domino's Pizza, (laughs) you know, at Ball State, Muncie, Indiana. 
And uh, the police never found me, by the way. I stayed gone as a runaway until I was 18. Never found me. They kept looking for me, but never did. And her probation officer, I can remember, they would always threaten her. Listen, we know he's with you. Mm. We're looking. We're, we find him with you. You're going to girls' school. You're going. You're going back mm. to lockup. But they never did find me, and I became known in that crowd on the south side of Muncie as just somebody was crazy. But inside, it was just a mask. Mm. It was just a mask. You know, I I didn't know I had all. I didn't know I had leadership ability in me. Mm. I didn't know that I could be using this stuff the right way, and I was using it the wrong way. Well, anyway. In fact, one more thing I'll say about this crazy, you know, to admit this, but I'll be standing in a gymnasium sometimes with 500 or a thousand students. And I'll say, look, I got to tell you, I loved it. It got to the point where I loved it when I'd be at the party and just to hear people talk about how crazy I was. Mm. I ate it up Mm. ego. And crazy thing is, is, and you probably got the same situation you can talk about in your life is knowing people who are dead today because of wrong decisions that they made yeah. and, or because the ego got the best of them. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so I have friends now from that era that are dead now. Mm. So long story short, get married, 17, 18 daughters born, uh, by the, moving around, we moved around all over the place. We couldn't pay rent half the time. Of course we'd get enough money to get high and party. Yeah. I moved to Florida for a short stint. No money. Lived in a house with seven people in a pit bull, one bedroom. We shared it with fleas and palmetto bugs Jeez. and heat, no air conditioning. Oh, my gosh. Crazy stuff. We make it back to Indiana a couple months later, 212 West 5th Street. Lived in this little shotgun house that I rented in Muncie, Indiana. My house became the party house very quickly, selling small amounts of marijuana, buying lots of stolen property. But we got in somewhat of a drug war with some guys on that end of town. You know how it was, like you had this attitude to always tell all your friends. And again, for me, it was the image. It was the camaraderie. It was to hear everybody say, I got your back. If anything Mm -hmm. ever happened, Mm -hmm. that's what happened. A friend of mine uh, who is dead today stole a a duffel bag with a nine millimeter in it. I don't know, some cash and some pot and stuff. And then the war started. Mm -hmm. So there were drive-by shootings. There were um, fights. One guy hit another guy with a car. Guy in my group hit another one with a car, you know, on the street. Mm. It's that kind of stuff. And so one day, man, on a Monday afternoon at 2 p.m., of all places to be arrested, when I called a SWAT team out, fully dressed in black from head to toe, black ski mask, black 12-gauge pump shotguns. Crazy thing was I had just started a new job that day working for another guy we partied with mm. who owned a tree trimming business. So I went out with him. We worked a half a day because it started storming. He's up in the tree. I'm picking up limbs, all that. Starts storming. He says, we got to quit. We get high on the way home. Hmm. We get to my house. Somebody stops by and wants to buy some pot. I didn't really have anything, just a little bit here. So we rolled that up. We smoked it. Uh, He left. My wife, my baby girl, and two girls from school that that had been in school, they were skipping school, actually. They're at my house in the living room, sitting on the living room floor. And I said, well, I got to go get cleaned up. And we didn't have a shower. We had a bathtub. So I filled the bathtub up. I go back and I get in the tub. As soon as I got in the water, I heard wham, 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 this loud banging noise because the back door was right outside the bathroom door, Mm. right off the kitchen. And I I thought, I mean, I did, I guess part of it was I thought it could be the police. And the other thought was I thought, man, this is drug dealers. You know what I'm Mm. saying? Mm. So I jump up out of the water, threw my pants on real quick. Just as soon as I got my pants open, the bathroom door comes flying open and there's, 
I hear them run through the house yelling, take cover, take cover. And I think that's the police. Ain't no mm. drug dealer going to run through your house yelling, take cover. You know, police bust in the door, bust in the bathroom door, hands up against the wall. The dude's fully dressed in black from head to toe. Like I said, black ski mask, black 12 gauge pump shotguns. Uh, over the next hour or so, they proceeded, read me my rights, uh, handcuffed me, searching the house, arrested me. They arrested Jody. They detained those two girls blocked my entire street off. They had vans. They had police everywhere around buildings. They were just, I mean, they were ready for World War III. <laughs> they took me out on the front porch, handcuffed me. I watched them as they raided my next-door neighbor's house. Mm. So I watched that raid go down. And here's the crazy thing, though. That l- our little girl, she's yeah. nine months old. So oh. think about this. This little bitty house, if I'm getting high with her in the same room, yeah. she's getting high. I'm not even thinking about it. Right. Now, people say, well, you didn't love her. Yeah, I did love her. I just didn't. I was just being stupid, you yeah. know, and that's what happens. All too. They can't say I didn't love her. I, you know, there was love for my little girl, but it was just being yeah. stupid and disrespectful and, and not responsible and had a flow of known felons in and out of my home. Now, again, Jody's actually wanting out of this life, hmm. but I'm loving it. I'm popular now. Never yeah. had it before. You yeah. know what I mean? What were they so, there for? So they, what they a, did was the they, whole list of things that you had. They they did. Yeah. Well, what happened was, is that when you read the newspaper article of the arrest and the raid, it was kind of like the language was, we're going to put a stop to all these senseless shootings and violence on the South side of Muncie. Mm. That's what it was. So they arrested, they didn't only arrest me and Jody. They went after everybody else that was involved in it. Yeah. Got it. So we go to jail. They're all in jail. We're all meet up in jail. We're like, oh man, (laughs) they got you too. It was that kind of a thing. So it sounds really big time on the surface. It is always big time. If you, um, if life and death is, is on the line and that was on the line, but, but as far as, you know, a long history of that life, it wasn't, it was very like, short-lived and, and they brought out the SWAT team. And the reason they brought out the SWAT team is because uh, the violence and some of the stolen property, like there was a shotgun or whatever, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like my friends would, when they first brought me the stolen property, I actually said no to it. Mm. They wanted to they said, come on. And they're trying to, trying to talk. They actually use my car to go rob some places. Um, but they would just take everything. They yeah. just take everything out of the home. I'm talking everything from the salt shaker to the steaks in the freezer, man, they took everything. You know how mm. sad this is? This is terrible. As I remember back, I'm just really ashamed of this, but I'll never forget one load of stolen property that they brought to my house. And I just trade a little bit of cash or some pot for it, mm. like a, a leather jacket, a shotgun. Uh, but then, and I'm really ashamed of this. I mean, Christ bore my shame now, but you understand that life. Mm-hmm. So an American flag in a case. Mm. With what looked like to me, as I remember back now, some handfuls of Vietnamese money. Mm. That was part of stolen property. Yeah. So they took that and it it was just crazy. It was nonsense. I mean, I could have just very well been dead, you know. So anyway, they my wife talks about this in her book when bro, when she was a juvenile, they put her through the scared state, scared, scared straight program. Yeah, you might have heard of that before they take juveniles to prison. That the inmates scare him a little bit and try to scare him to not go down that route. She did that, but yes, mm. she went down that road. Mm. Uh, she was arrested many times as a juvenile and a runaway, twice by this one certain detective, and he kept warning her. He said, Jody, if you don't straighten up, you're going to end up in trouble. Guess who was the detective that showed up with all those people? Mm. One of the detectives, he showed up 
to take our daughter away that day when Jody was 18, I was 19, standing on that front porch in handcuffs. Or she didn't have handcuffs on yet. She was holding her little girl. She was crying. Jody was crying. Mm -hmm. Police everywhere, you know, like you'd see on TV when they raided a house. He looked at her and he said, I told you. Mm. I told you, Jody. And so that's what happened. So they put my little girl in a police car. They arrested me and Jody. We did not cooperate. We did bond out a few days later, but eight months later, we had to go to trial. And uh, in the meantime, we started going to parenting classes. Mm. We tried to get custody of our daughter back. They wouldn't give it back. We, uh, they put her in foster care for a while, and then they ended up giving her to my mom. Mm. Thank you're, God. You're adopted adopted mom, Mary. Adopted yeah. Mary. yeah her. Okay. And she raised her. Wow. She raised her. Wow. And so what happened was she raised her while we went to prison because eight months later we were found guilty. We wouldn't cooperate. We pled not guilty knowing we were, we, we didn't even do a plea bargain or nothing. Hmm. We just said, Nope. And it, you know why? It was part of that attitude. Yeah. This is how crazy it is. Here I'm supposed to be a dad responsible you know, I mean, it has created an effective story to be able to talk to young dads or people that are can, not even thinking about the fact that they could be a dad in a couple of years when they're in high school. You know what I mean? Yeah. So here I got this situation where I could where I was supposed to be a father and, and being responsible. And I could have kept Jody out of prison. I could have cooperated. I think they were still going to try to give me time, hmm. but I could have kept her out. And I was like, here's what I told her. I said, don't tell them anything. Don't cooperate. Don't tell them nothing. Now, I always like to tell this part because people say, oh, man, that sounds that sounds street, right? That sounds tough. That sounds loyal. It, it had nothing to do with loyalty. Well, it had something to do with loyalty for me. Yeah. I was being loyal to myself because and here's the reason I say that, because here's the here's the why. I didn't want to get out of prison and go back to those streets and be known as a snitch. That was it. Mm, yeah. It wasn't because I really cared about protecting these people. Yeah. That's what I'm still trying really to protect your reputation. It even, exactly. In, even in the midst. Of even that. that. Yeah. Even yeah. You got a little baby girl there who needs protection, needs a dad, needs somebody to raise her and take care of her. And, and, and I wasn't doing it, man. Mm. I wasn't doing a flow of known felons. I mean, the kind of people I had inside my house mm. would just soon shoot you as to look at you. So how long did you get sentenced to prison? So they gave me six years wow. and they gave Jody six years. Wow. Those are D felonies. Those are two years on each count. And they ran them. They stacked them consecutively. They, you can do it concurrent to where it's just all together. That would have been two years, do one. But instead, they stacked them. So it was six years, do three. Because Indiana at that time, it was in Indiana. Indiana at that time had on the books where you get two days for every one day you serve. Hmm. So that, that's what happened. So Trial didn't last long, found us guilty. Two weeks later, they sentenced both of us to prison, and there we went. But I want to throw this in, man. This is very important. All those different seeds in our life that, thank God, somebody along the path gave us some direction that we can refer to, remember back to. When I was 10, before my parents got a divorce, the Baptist church used to pick me up on the school bus, on the, the church bus, the little blue church bus, to take us to church. This Sunday, they took us to the fire station. Hmm. And what little kids not want to go to the fire station? They took all the little kids to the fire station. They pulled out all the fire trucks. They had a stage set up inside the fire station garage with chairs and stuff. And they brought us in there and they told us about Jesus in a fire station. Wow. And that day, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior when I was 10 years old. Hmm. 
but I didn't have any real direction, discipleship structure. Anybody really steered me to, you know, as a teenager, I was going to need the Bible, but I wasn't picking that up. So I went through all those things, you know, that that teens go through. That's what happened. But I did have that seed. When I went to White's, Josiah White's as a juvenile, there's another seed being planted, rededicated my life to the Lord. So it was always kind of right, right in the back of my mind. And when I'd get in some serious trouble or the police were about to catch us doing something or, you know, I'd be praying or, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So right before we went to trial, we were out on bond and we decided we we're going to get our daughter back. They were acting like they were going to give her back. But we've come to find out later they're not going to give her back until we go to trial because they're going to hold it off just to yeah. see what's going to happen. Right. So we moved from Muncie, Indiana to Indianapolis, Indiana, lived in our car. I had to, the court ordered me to go to 36 days drug evaluation at Richmond State Hospital. I went and did that. They wanted to see if I was, a, you know, they want to evaluate you. Are you addicted? Are you a gratefully recovering alcoholic? Are you a gratefully recovering drug addict? You know, all these things. And uh, I did 36 days, successfully completed that program. Jody worked two jobs, got out. My mom had my daughter. She would give us visitation. We, we could have visitation. And then check this out. I get out of this hospital. And Jody had been robbed three times. She was a manager of a gas station at gunpoint wow. in Indianapolis. Wow. Well, two times. She'd been robbed twice. After the second time, I said, that's it. Okay, one more time. If you get robbed again, you know, <laughs> should have made her quit after the first time. But it was, if you get robbed again, that's it. What, a few days later, her and her manager followers are home because he he followed her home because he want, didn't want her to quit. He needed her help. And he knew she was going to quit because she was going to have to tell me she got robbed again tonight. And I said, nope, that's it. She's quitting. We'll be in tomorrow to get her check. So we show up at this, it's, I say gas station. It's like the, it's, like the, it's got the stores in them and everything, the gas. Yeah. And all that. We're standing inside, waiting on her check. This is miraculous, bro. Standing inside, waiting on her check. We're, remember, we're out on bond. We're, we're going to go to trial in a month or two. Uh, we don't have custody of our daughter. We're trying to turn over a new leaf in Muncie, Indiana. I mean, I'm sorry, in Indianapolis. Middle of the day, I'm standing at this gas inside the gas station. And finally, I just Jody was holding a conversation with this dude that came in the gas station. He knew her because he had come in there before or whatever. Turns out also the reason he came into the gas station was because his truck was overheating that day. He stopped in and said, Hey, can you guys give me a bucket of water or whatever it is? So he can go out and put it in the radiator. He comes back with the water and he says, Nothing's wrong. I don't know what's going on, but my truck's not overheating. It was smoking and steaming real bad, but now it's not. So anyway, they start talking and I'm just looking around the gas station and stuff. I'm not really a part of that conversation. And they start talking about the robbery. And then all of a sudden I say, I get frustrated. I'm like, Jody, we'll come back and get your check. Let's go. Let's just get out. Come on, let's go. Let's get out of here. Just really rude and disrespectful. Come on. I got to go find a job. As soon as I said, I got to find a job, that same dude, speaks up and says, you need a job? Just like that, right there. Didn't even know me from anybody. said, you need a job? He said, I'll give you a job right now. You need a job? I I got a job for you. I do construction work. Can you do any construction work? I said, I can dig a hole. That's about about all I can do. He said, I'll hire you right now. And then the conversation started longer. We kept talking. We started talking. Man, I think he saw that there was a hunger and a hurt in our heart because he's a Christian, it turns out. Mm. And we always share this testimony because before that conversation was over, he had invited us to church. Wow. Give me the job, which he baited me, of course, had the hook in my mouth. Yeah. Invited us to church. And then 
we're like, yeah, that'd be cool. You know, Jody's like, yeah, let's go to church. That'd be great. We'd come there. He said, well, Easter's coming up. We'd love to go to your church on Easter. Next thing he does is he goes, when he sees that we're still following along with him, he says, well, hey, would you guys mind if me and my wife uh, stop by your house tonight? Mm. Just come visit with you. Just get to know you a little bit. And that's mm. exactly what happened. They came to my house wow. that night. Now, I want to say this about this. It hasn't been an hour and a half ago that I just spent 30 minutes on the phone with that man. Wow. I'm still friends. He's like a brother to me after that's all incredible. this time. That man. And, he, and he's, in, he, he's in, I started to interrupt you. He's in construction. That's right. The reason I, I want to emphasize that is because, dude, that guy is doing incredible ministry and he's not working at a church. He's not even, right. you know, he's just the dude's in construction. You know what I mean? For the guys who are listening right now, like this dude, I don't know this guy, but this guy sounds like he had massive amounts of intentionality. He was living his life on purpose. So he goes in for a bucket of water, but really what he's doing is he's seen himself as a missionary and who is God putting in front of me to bring the kingdom of God to. And you intersected that path, which is something he had probably been praying for and thinking about, like God bring me people that I can be on mission toward. That's it. And now how many years ago was that? That's a long time ago. That's a, I got, I got arrested in the late eighties. Okay. So (laughs) yeah, yeah. 30 30 years and he's been that way ever since. In fact, when he called me this morning, he was on his way to a job site. Incredible. On his way to a job site. And he, you know what he does, bro? He, 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 once a year, I think he does, he does a weekend for men once a year, Mm. you know, but he did that back then, you know, and he had, had had his own struggles and stuff, you know, but Dude, that guy took me under his wing. I went to work with him the next day. They did come to my house that night. They did come to my house that night, which was really strategic because before it was over with, I didn't have much furniture. It was a house me and Jody were renting. Like I said, we had been living in our car. We finally got this elderly lady to rent us this house on the south side of Indianapolis. That's where they came to that night. For dads out there, check this out. There's times in your life you got to be bold, man. There are times, and I'll never forget. And remember, I just came off the street. I remember my mom had given, we had my daughter there because we had visitation. So we had her there. She was dragging a bunch of toys out to play with them in the living room while I'm talking to this man and his wife. His name's Jeff. His wife's name's Diana. He had his little girl there. Her name's Erica. And so the little babies, you know, they're bringing out all these toys. Well, I cussed at my little girl. Mm. I said, get that blank back in the room. Mm -hmm. She's just a little baby, man. Mm -hmm. And this dude in my house, (laughs) this is what he said. He goes, man. And first time he's ever been in my house, I just met him that day at the gas station. He (laughs) goes, he goes, uh, man, I'd appreciate it if you didn't talk like that around my daughter. Mm. (laughs) No, he has no idea where I came from. Yeah. and I'm actually thinking that in my head right now. And I was, I got real quiet for a second because I, the good thing I did because the response, my first response was not going to be good. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. Your ego was going to come out. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. And I just went like this. I went, you know what? You're right. Mm. And that was the end of it. Mm. Before that meeting was over with that, that visit, his wife had my wife in the kitchen. They were all, they were sitting on the kitchen floor talking about the book of revelation. (laughs) talking about the second coming of Christ. So she's in there scaring my wife to follow <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and I'm in the, 
I'm in the living room telling Jeff, I said, yeah, you know, when I was a little kid, I went to this church. And I said, oh, yeah. I said, I remember when I went to Kentucky one time, I went to this Kentucky church down in the hills. And there was these people, they were wild in, in, in this church, you know, must have been a Pentecostal church, you know. And he's like, so he's listening to me and he starts telling me about his church a little bit. But he don't really tell me that it's not a Baptist church. His church turns out because <laughs> I'm going there the next night. Yeah, turns yeah. out bro, I show up at that church the next night. It's packed. They're going. People are dancing. The building <laughs> yeah, yeah. is jumping up and down. I'm not kidding you. I felt like needles were sticking in my body all over. I'm like, but every single time I kept thinking, he gave me a job. Mm. He gave me a job. And me and Jody would sit there in that church. We'd go on a Wednesday and we'd go back on a Sunday. And every time we'd go, we'd, we'd look at each other and say, we're not coming back here anymore. Mm. And then we'd get home and we'd be back there. Mm. Within a few weeks, I was literally playing the tambourine in that church. <laughs> That's a story. That's really funny. All right, hold on, hold on. I got to take a pee break. <laughs> let me come. Let me pause real quick. I'm going to come back. I want to hear what happened in prison. How God got All a hold right. of you. We'll finish this okay. out. This is good. Hey guys, hope you've enjoyed the story so far. If you need to take a break, like I did, to use the restroom, feel free to do that. Uh, we'll jump back in and hear the rest of the story about how God redeemed Billy. It was really, it really is an incredible story. Just as a reminder, if you want to jump into our closed community, we do have a little community. It's totally free. You can go to connect.dadtire.com and uh, jump into that community. We have guys from all over the world who are taking this stuff seriously. We'd love to have you be part of that. All right, let's jump back into the conversation. All right, so you're playing tambourine, getting ready to go to prison. <laughs> so that's where we left off. All right, so... Fast forward then, you end up getting sentenced, then what happened? Oh man, yeah, we got we got sentenced, and, you know, and we never told anybody in the church about this. The only ones we told mm. was that couple. Mm. Crazy thing was, is the pastor of that church was a Marion County, that's where Indianapolis is at. He was a Marion County Sheriff's deputy as well. Oh, oh wow. So we, we never told him. We never told him. The only ones that knew was that couple, and I think their mom and dad. So when we go to, we go to trial, we get found guilty. Then we go to sentencing. That couple tells me that they're going to come and be a character witness because mm. I had started working for Jeff. Yeah. You know, we eat at their house and you know, all that kind of stuff. And then they said, hey, we told the, the pastor asked where you guys were at. How come you weren't coming to church anymore? And we told him, I mean, we only went there five to six weeks, maybe, maybe mm -hmm. two months, mm -hmm. maybe five, to six weeks. They told the pastor about it. And he says, well, I want to come and be a character witness for him. Wow. Yeah, and he'd been on. So, literally, I'm at the sentencing, and I'll never forget that pastor coming in there. And he says, he goes up, and he, he tells the judge, he says, only three times in my entire career have I ever done this. And he looked over at me, and he pointed at me, and he says, Your Honor, he said, I would give Mr. Ballinger the keys to my house. Wow. Yeah, he was doing everything and everything he could to, to help us. He really believed in us, but yeah. But because we wouldn't cooperate, she sentenced me to six years and Jody to six years. And from mm. that point, you get shipped to a reception diagnostic center. She went to the women's prison. I went to a place that everybody in Indiana goes first, all men, to determine what prison you're going to go at. Mm -hmm. So they had determined that they were going to, in that facility, they had determined that they were going to send me to a uh, minimum security facility but they didn't have no beds open there. So guess where I get sent? Indiana mm. State Prison at Michigan City. Mm. Yeah, this has got a 30-foot high wall. It's got electric cable that runs above that wall. It's got guard towers. It's where the lethal injection chamber is at. 
Wow. And literally, I get there and I start, you know, obviously, I, re- I remember them in this lockup unit over the weekend. You only got to be in jail or prison a few minutes before you talk to somebody and you figure everything you need to know about the prison. You know, it's, mm. you learn quickly. And somebody said, you want to go out to K-Dorm? And I was like, oh, okay. So I thought for sure they'd send me to K-Dorm because it's minimum security. It's outside the wall. Well, they showed up in there on Monday afternoon and they they, they read off a list of names because we're all locked up in this room together. They said, some of you are going to K-Dorm, the rest are going to D-Cell House. Now, that's not a place you wanted to go. You're, you're talking, that that's like Shawshank Redemption the ranges where the cell doors all open are the same, you know, things yeah. like that. Yeah. Well, I'd already started praying and stuff like that, you know, then, well, they mentioned all the names that were going to go out to Kador and my name wasn't on the list. So I was actually playing cards. So I got up and playing cards. I go over to my bunk area and I bent down like I was getting something in my bunk and I started praying. I said, God, mm-hmm. I can't go inside. I said, if I go inside, I'm going to have to get a weapon, protect myself, whatever it was. Bro, right after I prayed that, maybe 15, 20 minutes later, the officer came back to that door, opened the little the little portion of the door and said, by the way, Ballinger will be going to K-Dorm too. Wow. Like a few minutes later, I get out to K-Dorm. I ask about Bible study. They told me to go talk to this one inmate, six foot five black brother mm. who was born again Christian. Mm. His name is Robert Nelson. Everybody called him Slim. He had been the baddest dude. Prison names, yeah. Exactly. (laughs) Slim had been the baddest dude in the whole prison from Gary, Indiana, before he got born again, became a preacher there. Wow. So he's like mentor, guardian angel, everything. Because, I mean, whatever I learned on the street, you find out really, really quickly you can't carry that. I mean, you got to do your best. But it's not like you're going to have that same reputation in there it's like starting over if that makes any sense Mm. the slim took me under his wing man taught me about jesus he saw the hunger in me mentored me prayed with me we had miracles happen we had you know suffer we prayed and god answered but he's Uh, discipling dudes dudes discipling you in prison and god had been already lead like he's he's already been chipping away at you yeah, knowing yeah. you're going to be hooking up with Slim. I mean, that's probably a bad word to say about one person. <laughs> knowing know that you're going to be meeting yeah, yeah. Slim yeah. in prison and he's going to be discipling you. Yeah, um, man. So and, God had prepared the road. Man, he, there was so much in that couple. Remember that couple? That couple is praying for us. Yeah. That couple's mom and dad took it upon themselves to, to do prison ministry and come and visit us all the time. Wow. That mom and dad, her name is Sandy. And the dad's name is Harlan. It's mm. Jeff's mom and dad. I just preached Sandy's funeral mm. two months ago wow. and got the share of the legacy that she left in all these other areas, but in me and Jody's life. Jeez. So here's what happened. I make the wrap this up real quick. Slim came up to me one time in the prison. Now, I did time in four different prisons even while I was incarcerated. Jody did time in two different prisons. Now I'm not seeing her. We're, you know, we're eventually we got to write letters and all that kind of stuff. But Slim came up to me and said, I'm so, Feel like God wants me to give you this scripture, and it was Proverbs chapter 21, verse 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and like the rivers of water, God will turn it the way He wants it to go. He said, I don't know why you're supposed to have that scripture, but you're supposed to have it. Hmm. There you go. I get sent to the next prison, studying the word, praying all the time, getting closer to God, learning about God, getting stronger in my faith. I pray and get transferred to a different prison, closer to where my daughter and my mom were at. So I could get visits and stuff. I got down there and I started praying that scripture over my judge. Proverbs 21, verse 1. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, God will turn it the way he wants it to go. 
Jeez. Well, after nearly two years, the judge sent a message through our attorney saying, tell the Ballingers, you're not going to get out. You're going to do all your time. She said, don't waste the paper. Don't waste the ink. You're going to do all your time. It's nearly two years, almost two years of incarceration. When I got that news on that Thursday night, I hung up the phone because you had to call home collect. I hung up the phone. I walked outside on the track. There's a recreation track at the prison. And I lifted my hands to God and I said, God, I did not pray to that. I've been praying to get out. Okay. I said, I didn't pray to that judge. I prayed to you. Mm. And your word says, and then I, I also knew this too, brother. This is very important for the listeners. It wasn't like I went to prison. I just one day said, God, get me out of here. I spent time with God. I was praying that, but I spent time with him. And it came to the point that one day I was walking around the prison yard and I said, God, you know it. And I know it. I will never return to the old life again. And I knew it like I knew my name. Mm -hmm. And that came not because I was some tough spiritual person. It was because I had spent time with Jesus. Mm -hmm. I'd spent enough time in his word. It changed my thinking. It changed my desires. It changed my want. I wanted to be a dad. Mm -hmm. I wanted to get a job. I wanted to be a husband. And that was happening. And then I got the news from the judge. And so I walked outside the prison yard and said, God, I did not pray to that judge. I prayed to you. And your word says in Proverbs 21, verse one, you know, and I read the whole thing and I just started praising God. Hmm. I started thanking God as I'm walking around. I said, Thank God for releasing me. Thank you for restoring me and Jody. Thank you for giving our baby girl back. Hmm. Thank you so much. You know, and sure enough, the next night, the Indiana State Court of Appeals ordered, ordered that judge to give me a hearing. Wow. Less than two months later, we went back in front of that judge at the same time. They picked my wife up, put her in the vehicle. Same vehicle came to my prison, picked me up, and I'm riding with my wife. I hadn't seen no her way. in nearly two years in this car. The, the dude's letting us talk and communicate. He even let me kiss her. I mean, it was like miracle mm. after miracle, man. Mm. You know, so we go to court that day, and the judge released us. Wow. We drive from there. We got this part on video because you couldn't have video in the courtroom. But once we got in the car, my mom drove us to her trailer where my grandmother was waiting with my daughter. And I got it all on video. Oh, man. All of it on video. They videoed it and we walked in and grabbed a hold of our daughter. Wow, man. And never lost her again. Never went back to prison except I became an instructor with prison fellowship and started holding mm -hmm. seminars. And, and Jody did too. And went to prison in Russia and different states around the U.S., and we did that in juvenile center. We had a full-blown prison ministry for many years. The Lord had us doing that. But, yeah, man, that's what happened. I got, oh, less than two months after being released from prison, I was granted full custody of my baby girl back with no strings attached, no counselors, no welfare department. And to this day, I've never returned to alcohol, drugs. I mean, for me, I'm talking about, especially the alcohol for me was a uh, an escape. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about drinking socially because I don't, you know, it wasn't, that wasn't my life. Right. So I just chose to not ever go that route. And of course, no marijuana and nothing for any of the one of us. Yeah. Never lost our daughter again. Our son was born about a year after we were released from prison. You know, people can do the math on all that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and yeah, man. So married. Yeah. God just is a restorer. And, and now I'm living the dream. I'm getting to sing about it, share the story <laughs> all over the place. I just feel very blessed, man. Can I see that video, put it in our show notes for people to watch? Have you ever made that I public sure or is can. it? I uh, can I sure. I'll send it over to you, man. Man, I would love to put that. We'll put that. Uh, if Some of you guys have 
you asked how to get to show notes. If you just go to dadtired.com and click the podcast, we put all these episodes on there. I know you're probably listening to this on whatever platform, Spotify or Apple or whatever, but we'll put that video on our website, dadtired.com and just click podcast. So guys can see that. And so your daughter now, she's married, she's got her own kids. So you're granddad to those babies. Yeah, man. Five of them now. Here's the deal. Now, my daughter is about to be uh, remarried. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and when that happens, this is wild. <laughs> when that happens, I will instantly go from five grandkids to eight. Oh my gosh. And, and listen, and he has got, Joe has got uh, two mm. grandkids. I'll have, uh, I'll have two great grandkids. Oh my gosh. Incredible. Hey, I thank God in, in many respects that we started young, but mm-hmm. Looking back also, I wish we had made a lot better choices, you know, along the way. But God is, see, there you go. It's restoration. Yeah. And uh, I'm just, I feel very blessed, man. I just feel very blessed to be doing what I'm doing. And I have a hopeful message that, because I know the reality of Jesus and what he's done for my wife and I and our kids, man. Yeah. Christmas, it's a full house. (laughs) Yeah. Praise God. Well, and two, I think our listeners will think this is cool. Your your son, who you had a year after you got out, uh, is a big Dad Tired fan. He's come to our Dad Tired conferences and read the that's book right. and all that. So, I mean, that's kind of a cool. I had no idea. That's not how you and I got connected. That was just a cool thing for me to find out. But Well, I was just going to say something real quick about to Dad's. Stay encouraged because God, he's working on it. Yeah. He is working on things. And when, when those seeds are planted, they will come to flourishion. Just, just don't give up. You know, I was, I did a concert in Bristol, Tennessee the other night. Well, my uh, premier sponsor is Destiny Rescue. And so we work together and on, on this tour that I'm doing, Faith Like a Child Acoustic Tour. Well, my son is actually part of that ministry. Mm. So that ministry sent my own son out to be the spokesperson for the sponsor of my tour. Yeah. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah. So you're just so you're sitting back. Yeah. You're sitting back looking. Yeah. Just how God has been so faithful. Oh, man. He's a great dad, too. Dude. Mm. Yeah. I'm like, man. People will say, man, you must have been a great dad to him. I'm like, well, Jesus stepped in somewhere along the way because mm. <laughs> you know how it is. You're just learning, yeah. learning to be a great dad. But he's a great dad, loves his children. He loves to spend in not just a little bit of time, but a lot of time with his kids. Yeah. And so I'm really, really proud of him. Well, I think our guys listening are going to take away all kinds of things from your story, man, which I really appreciate you sharing. For me, it's, you know, that Jeff was his name that, that you met at the gas station. That that's a big one for me. Cause I just think like all the ways Jeff decided to be intentional that day. And he really mm-hmm. helped plant a, a really big foundation for you, yep. for the guys listening, dude, like if you just a little bit of intentionality can literally change a life, can change a family, can change generations. If you would just be intentional, you be bold, you see yourself as a missionary, God can use you to change generations. And um, so that stuck out to me. And then just dude, your personal story and just God's relentless pursuit. The reason the prodigal son is so such an incredible story in the scriptures is because it's Jesus's story. It's a parable of Jesus trying to tell you, this is what I'm like. <laughs> this is what I'm like. I chase right. down my children. And that's what, dude, no other God is like that. No one else is like that. No other religion is like that. The God of the Bible says, you want to know what I'm like? This is what I'm like. I chase down my kids. And, uh, and he chased you down and he's chasing down 
the people who are listening right now. And uh, I, I like the way you said it. How did you say it? God, he's still, what, what did you say? You said it so well. God's still at work or he's not done or I don't remember. You said it so beautifully. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I don't remember exactly how I said that, but I said, don't give up because those seeds are going to come to flourishing. They're yeah. going to, I know you don't see the seed growing at first. Right. With the things that have happened with our lives and an opportunity to share this story on the platforms that we have just in the last few years, we've been doing this for a long, long time, but it's expanded recently. And I mm-hmm. thought, man, my wife released her book. I need to release one that just says, don't give up. Yeah. Yeah. You've got, you know, purpose, whatever it is, be intentional. Like you said, right now, you keep being intentional and God will open up the floodgates. I remember what you said. You said God's working on it. God's working yeah. on it. And bro, yeah. like for you listening right now, for you as a listener, maybe that's the one line you take away in the midst of your chaos and your confusion, your feeling overwhelmed by life, life and circumstances and parenting and marriage. God is working on it. Praise God for that, bro. I know. I know. Yeah, this is really going to, I'm excited for for Jeff to always try to encourage him, you know, and he's always been an encouragement and speaking into my life, but uh, I want to make sure that he gets a chance to hear, you know, this story because different parts of his story come out many times mm. through my story, mm. you know, in, in different ways, but he, they're, they're like family, bro. I mean, mm. We went on vacation with them. Yeah. Stay friends all these years. Man. Billy, I, I was uh, brought closer to Jesus as a result of your testimony, which the word says that's what it's all about, bro. Your testimony pointed me closer to Jesus, and uh, I have a feeling it did the same for a lot of other guys. Thank you so much for taking the time to share it with us. Thanks, bro. We appreciate it, man. See you again.